Hello, everyone, and welcome to part seven of the NBP Film Awards. This week, we are doing best documentary, best foreign language film, best original screenplay, best adapted screenplay, and best director of 2016. Joining me this week, I have Mike Vermet. How's it going, guys? And we also have Kristen Lopez. I didn't have to see Fifty Shades Darker this weekend. Yay, me! Yeah. <laughs> You are so, so lucky. I'm lucky, too. I didn't have to see it this week myself, uh, which I was very, very proud of. Mike Vermette, are you seeing that movie anytime soon? You fuck no. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) I left my Adel beads in the drawer where they belong. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Well, this week we do have uh, quite a bit to discuss here in terms of these five categories. Sadly, Michael Schwartz and Will Mavity could not be here to discuss uh, their picks with us. However, we're going to start off with... Uh, best documentary feature film. We're going to do a runner-up and a winner here. So I'm going to read off Michael's uh, picks first. His runner-up for documentary of the year is Wiener, and his winner is OJ Made in America. For Will Mavity, his runner-up is 13th, and his winner is Gleason. Now let's pass it off first to Kristen Lopez. What is your runner-up and what is your winner for Best Documentary of 2016? I do want to throw out that this was a very hard category for me because I saw a lot of really good docs. Uh, And I didn't put 13th or OJ because I knew that somebody would talk about that. And I wanted to kind of spread the love um, a little bit. So my runner-up... Yeah, I, I will say an honorable mention was Amy Berg's An Open Secret, but that didn't go um, wide enough. It just went to YouTube because she couldn't get distribution for it for obvious reasons. Is Holy Hell. Did anybody else see this? Which, no. What no, is I this? Heard of it. No, I have no idea what uh, this is. So Holy Hell is uh, a documentary that this group of like Southern California um, people who had all been part of this cult essentially uh, decided to make a documentary uh, about their time in it. And I'm a big fan of films about cults. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I read, like, you're talking to the girl who read a 700-page biography about Jim Jones and the People's Temple. So I I watch a lot of of movies about cults. Um, But this one was really interesting in the fact that you know, the movie prides itself on the fact that it was formed in West Hollywood, this was a cult that was formed in, in West Hollywood in the 80s. Um, and it was filled with utterly beautiful people. Everybody in this cult was gorgeous. Um, and that was kind of what allowed them to say, well, we're not a cult. We're just a group. Um, they had a very charismatic leader. And as the movie progresses, they all start to realize collectively that their their leader, quote unquote, um was not the person that they thought he was and normally that's goes with the territory but just hearing what this person was able to achieve being this like weird immigrant who did porn and stuff it's this utterly crazy crazy movie um it's not the best made documentary but god damn if that story is not utterly utterly compelling so if you are a fan of like crazy things that happened in the 80s um specifically you know the cult atmosphere holy hell is a lot of fun to watch you've sold me i'm totally gonna go check this out (laughs) i'm all about this is this on a streaming platform that i can check out i think it is but i can't recall because i saw it um towards the beginning of the year through a screener but Uh. i'm sure you can i'm sure you can find it because it should be out by now uh, yeah, and I'm definitely gonna have to check it out now. That uh, <laughs> way you just surmised the entire, like, plot of that flick, it sounds 
so interesting to me. That's it's awesome. It's really good. Uh, what is your winner? And my winner is uh, one of what I call one of the best documentaries, one of the best movies of the year. And I'm sad that it did, didn't get enough traction, but it was uh, Southwest of Salem, the story of the San Antonio Four. Uh, why have I not heard about this one either? Exactly, yeah, no, exactly. No um, in, a, in a landscape where we had OJ and 13th and all these documentaries about kind of horrible crimes, even something like um, the, the one about the Central Park for this one is a really, really interesting case that I think just got resolved towards the middle of 2016. But um, it's about the story of these um, four Latina women who were lesbians who were essentially convicted of gang raping two little girls despite overwhelming evidence that there was coercion and lies and people fabricating evidence and the fact that nothing made sense. Um, and it plays, it, you know, discusses the fact that in Texas, still to this day, you know, women, especially Latin women who are not heterosexual are still severely marginalized. It's just such a compelling movie about, uh, you know, prejudice and hatred against women that I was just, I was hooked by it. And as much as I love documentaries like OJ and, the, and 13th, which totally hit on what's going on today, this is just as relevant. I, I think they finally um, resolved the, the actual case, but I, it's a story that definitely needs to have more traction. So definitely watch it because it's really, really good. Kristen, I want to thank you so much for providing me with two documentaries that I have not heard of this year and that I actually really, really badly now want to Yay! check out. I'm just doing my job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike Vermette, runner-up and winner for Best Documentary of 2016. All right, so my picks are definitely not going to be so far out of left field. But uh, my runner-up is O.J. Made in America. Ah, now is it is it because of the length or... I, I mean, the length didn't bother me. I thought it was really interesting. It's like the seven hours or whatever it is, seven and a half. It's kind of like binge-watching a like TV series. Yeah. So it really doesn't... Like, length doesn't bother me. Um, I think it's so in-depth. I think it's so good. I learned... So many things that, like, I didn't really know. Um, and I think it's, like, a perfect companion piece to the OJ TV show. Yes. Like, People vs. OJ Simpson, uh, which I thought was amazing and definitely one of the best TV miniseries of last year, like, by a mile. So I think it's really cool to check out the documentary first to kind of see the real case with the real people and, like, learn everything factually and then go check out that. TV miniseries and see what a great job they did, like, you know, making it, taking the documentary and kind of turning it into a real show. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I thought it was good. I thought it was so interesting. I learned more about O.J. Simpson in 2016 than I think I've ever would have wanted to know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was my runner-up. I loved, loved uh, you know, O.J. Made in America. Um, my winner is an easy one if you've been listening to this podcast. I've mentioned it numerous times, and that is Wiener. Yes. Um, there is nothing else this year that has made me, like, cringe and, like, hate a human being as much as watching Anthony Weiner's story. He's just, like, a despicable person. And I loved how we got to, like, see beneath, like, his face that he shows the world. Um, and I just love the fact that, like, it's so tragic. He's a tragic figure that, like, he can never get outside of his name. He can never get away from that name Weiner. 
And, uh, yeah, I've watched that documentary multiple times, and it never ceases to, like, amaze and amaze me. Yeah, it's great. So, for me, in talking about documentaries this year, my runner-up is also Wiener. So, I'm going to segue into talking about that and say, I am still amazed that they had a camera running during all of this shit going down. Like, they thought they were filming this guy's um, resurgence, and what they ended up capturing instead was just turmoil, chaos, and a huge downfall that is just so unbelievable that it has to be true, right? Because of how just ridiculous it all is. I mean, that one scene where... He is avoiding um, the one girl in the lobby, and he has to, like, go out the back entrance and, like, get in the car and, like, run oh, away. Oh, Sydney Leather's the best. Oh, my God. It was so hysterically funny and crazy at the same exact time. I loved every minute of it. And I also did find there to be um, just a right mixture of drama, humor, um, absurdity. Definitely one of the most enjoyable experiences I had uh, in the theater this year was watching this movie. And I mean, listen, he's from New York, right? So there is also that New York connection there that certainly helps uh, represent. Woo! Winter, though, one of my favorite films of the year. I I mean, I just I, 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 I could not believe how much emotional power was packed into this 90 minute runtime. And that is Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th. So good. Exactly. Where a, a documentary like OJ Made in America needed seven and a half hours, this film needed a fraction of that time to tell a story that is so compelling and just such a great summary and also takes everything from a uh, a point of view that I found to be very, very unique. I thought the words flashing on the screen, the music choices, the way it was edited, everything about this movie. I mean, in terms of also how the subjects are shot during the documentary uh, portion, like the sit-down interviews itself, it's just so, so, so well done. This is on Netflix right now. I highly urge everybody to check it out. I think it's actually now even more important and more timely now that Donald Trump is our president because there is a clip in the movie that is now... I think just so, so much more powerful than it was when this film came out during the election period. It's just, it breaks my heart. It really, truly does. And I would love nothing more than to see Ava DuVernay get up on that stage and accept the Oscar for this movie. I don't think it's going to happen because of OJ Made in America, but damn, man, if this film does not, like, it's it, it to me, it's a perfect documentary. It really, truly is one of the best ones I've seen in recent memory. I absolutely love this movie. Just to throw in, I will say that both of the movies I recommended are available for rental on Amazon and YouTube and iTunes and all the places. All right. Cool. Uh, let's move over to Best Foreign Language Film. Because with Best Foreign Language Film, we also have a runner-up and a winner. But some of us... Uh, struggled with that a little bit this year and that's fine you know i understand that many of the best foreign language films of the year have not expanded yet to many parts of the world so i understand if people have had struggles uh seeing this but i'm gonna start off with will mavity first here uh his best foreign language film runner-up is trained to busan and his winner is get ready for it here it comes l sorry Kristen. will and i are done we're not talking for the foreseeable future michael schwartz <laughs> Uh, it's interesting because his his runner up is also L. 
I'm just going to assume it's because not a lot of people saw... They weren't of her foreign choice. films this year, yes. right? Yeah, lack lack of options. And his winner, his winner is Tony Erdman. Uh Kristen, <laughs> I know, I know that you've seen L. I saw one foreign language film this year, and if you have to see one foreign language film this year, please, dear holy Jesus, let it not be L. Okay, <laughs> so I don't have a winner or a runner up. I just have one big shit pile. Directed by Paul Verhoeven that's called L, and it's garbage. So, um, yeah, I guess if you have to put something under best foreign language film, if we're, because we live in Trump's America now, words mean nothing. So words are going to mean what I say they mean, which, so best means worse now. And, yeah, L. Fuck that movie. <laughs> All right, Mike from Matt. Uh, do you ever, do you, do you have a runner-up, or? I do not. I only saw one foreign language okay. film this year. And I really loved it, so... Oh, that's you know, good. All that. right, so what's your foreign language film winner, then? Uh, the only one I saw this year was Train to Busan. Oh, okay. That's cool. And that's totally in my wheelhouse, and there is no, you know, woman traping, tracking down a rapist, so that's probably a good thing, right, Kristen? That's... Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take that. Zombie trains. Zombie trains are better than, you know... If, if a train full of zombies had decided to eat Paul Verhoeven and then rape him... Like, maybe that might have been interesting. I don't know. I don't know movies anymore, apparently. I feel like that with a combination of, like, Basic Instinct, Showgirls, and, like, all these other types of films that he's made in his career, it's like, I, I get this I get this feeling that he's, like, public enemy number one for you. Dude, or, no! Like, I love Showgirls! Showgirls oh, is one of my okay. favorite movies of all time, okay? And yes, I know that has rape in it, okay? That's... Yeah, but, okay, it doesn't have freaking Elizabeth Berkley deciding to bang the dude, okay, and then, like, kick the shit out of him not Spoiler wearing a top. Spoiler Kristen. <sighs> okay, the movie's at least 20 years old. Spoilers are irrelevant at this point. I, I, I don't want to get sidetracked too, too much here, but just out of curiosity, Kristen, if Isabel Huppert were to win Best Actress for the movie, would you be upset? Again, we live in Trump's America. Words mean nothing. I'm just going to hear them say any other movie that Isabelle Huppert has made. And I'll be like, okay, I just not, I'm never going to acknowledge the fact that it's for C- that. Career award, basically, is what, is what you would look at it as, essentially. Any other film, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they could literally say that she won for freaking, what's that movie where Kevin Spacey plays the talking cat? She's not in it, but um, yeah. She could, they could just put that, and I'd be like, okay. Nine Lives? Nine Lives, thank you, yeah. They could say Isabelle Huppert won for Nine Lives, and I'd be like, yep. Clap it. Yeah. Fact. She deserves it. Just <laughs> never going to hear her. Just never going to hear that word, that, that name coming out of their mouth. Oh, my God. Train to Busan is awesome. <laughs> uh, go see it. It has zombies on a train. It's basically Snowpiercer with zombies. Um, and it's this, like, really lovely story about a guy who's been estranged from his daughter. And uh, they're traveling to Busan, and there are zombies on the train, and he has to protect her with everything he's got. And it's awesome. And I think The Walking Dead could actually learn a hell of a lot from Train to Busan. I agree with that <laughs> statement. I also can't wait for the American remake, Train to Boston. I hope that doesn't happen. Oh, it's happening. You better believe they're going to find a way to make this happen. Because that'd be kind of awesome. It's definitely going to be Train to Boston, directed by Peter Berg, starring Mark Wahlberg. It's going to happen. Matt Damon's going to play the daughter. Oh my god! No, uh, have um, have Matt Damon play the uh, the badass guy on the train in that movie. Uh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd be all about uh, it. 
I'd be so down for it. All right. Moving on to my best foreign language um, films this year. Uh, so I, I I probably saw the most foreign language films of anybody, uh, I guess, but I still didn't see a lot. I saw like The Wailing. I saw Train to Busan. I saw Elle. I, I mean, but my runner up is actually um, Tony Erdman. Uh, I thought Tony Erdman was a sweet, uh, fun movie that had a lot of good humor in it. Really, really fantastic leading performances. Um, And a real, real gut punch of an ending that with the recent news of its American remake coming uh, starring Jack Nicholson and Kristen Wiig, I honestly cannot wait to see what they bring uh, to this material. My only plea is that I don't want it to be two hours and 47 minutes again. Um, I do believe that that length was unnecessary and that's why it's not my winner. My winner is one of my favorite movies I saw this year. One of the some of the most fun I had in the movies uh, this year, and that is The Handmaiden, which is so twisted, so dark, and so much goddamn fun. I loved everything about this movie. I loved how exquisite it was in terms of its design work, with the costumes, the production design, the cinematography, the music. Everything about this movie is just so well made, so well acted. And my God, I'm telling you right now, as far as its story structure is concerned, it's just so impeccably well made. It really, truly is. I I can't, can't, can't urge anyone enough that has not seen this movie, see this movie. It's like the nocturnal animals of foreign language films this year. It is dark. It is twisted. It is dirty. It is also um, so, so much fun in terms of its story structure check it out. You will not be disappointed. Okay, moving on to the next category now. Best Adapted Screenplay. We have five uh, that we are going to list off here, and I'm going to toss it off to Michael Schwartz first. His picks for Best Adapted Screenplay this year are number five, he has Moonlight. Number four, he has Hidden Figures. Number three, he has Love and Friendship. Number two, Indignation. And number one is Fences. And for Will Mavity, his number five is Arrival. Number four is Lion. Number three, Indignation. Number two, Love and Friendship. And number one is Moonlight. Kristen, let's throw it off to you first. What are your five for adapted screenplay? Okay, so... My five and my four are not the best movies, but let's just say they're best. Take one's movies that were originally in here uh, that got last minute changes. So my number five is Assassin's Creed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even, come on, even me, who like actually plays the games, is okay. like, no. no in my defense... Actually, there's no defense. It's just pure shameless bias. Um, These are subjective, so I I can't argue so much here. As I mentioned before, I did not hate this. Maybe because I don't play video games. Maybe because I've seen so many horrific video game movies that this one not being a steaming garbage pile named L helped. I don't know. Um, It is the best video game adaptation I've personally seen in its defense. Yeah, I mean, the script knows i think there's an awareness that there's a lot of silliness in it so it tries very hard to pare down stuff um without trying to dwell you know you can kind of see where they're they're kind of erasing stuff 
thinking people are going to find that really stupid. But you know what? It worked for me. I don't care. It's my number five. Uh, number four is another critically maligned movie, and it's Live by Night. This is this is getting very interesting, I have to say. <laughs> Live by Night, again, really, really, really long. And I've read the book. book is boring as hell. Um, and the movie, I think, does a, a good job of a, actually doing what it should do, which is adapt the text. So even though it's still a messy movie in terms of showing at the the seams of where they cut and stitched stuff together at the last second it really cuts down a lot of just the boring subplotting that the book had yeah it's it's a couple different movies rolled into one in the middle of the movie is essentially a remake of elmer gantry but you know what if you're remaking elmer gantry that's not that bad and there's some some good pros in it i think so that's my number four I promise these get better. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> number three is Fences. Oh, okay. There we go. I knew I'd hit on one. Um, it's, I don't know if you kiss Wilson's text word for word, essentially, but you can't really go wrong with, with a, a playwright like Wilson whose words are just so beautiful and really convey the kinship of family and how we both love and resent each other at the same time and the nature of fractured dreams. So if you have to adapt a play word for word, you can't really do any better than Fences. You know, I I respect people putting this on their list, but I'm one of those people that it's like in a way kind of like disqualified for me as a result. Um, but I, I respect everybody that puts it on their list. I think, uh, you know, take it from the context with which you uh, explained just now. It's a worthy it's a worthy choice. Okay, and then my number two is Hidden Figures. Yay! Yeah, I, I love Hidden Figures so much. And this script, I think, does a great job of balancing the seriousness with the humor. There's some great characterization written into... There's personality written into each of the characters, and it's not personality that's reductive you know this one's the sassy black character and this one is the you know woman who's a career woman and damn it if her family suffers you know there's not that reductiveness to the characterization even though i think it would be very easy for a poor script to do that and yeah it's not perfect but it's just heartwarming so i i really love that my number one Y'all should kind of nocturnal know animals. Nocturnal animals. <laughs> <Exactly>. Yeah. <laughs> I I have not read the book that this is based on. I have the book, but I've heard that Tom Ford is pretty much just threw the book out and made his own movie um, because there's a lot of changes, even though the basic threads of uh, the plot are still there. I love this script. There is just a crackling rapid fire to everything. The speeches that the characters make are so eloquent and so fantastic. And it helps if you have great actors saying your words. And, you know, Laura Linney's moment with Amy Adams. I just love how that's written. I love everything about this movie, damn it. I love everything. It's my number one. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean... It's, it's no shock, it's no surprise to myself or anybody else that's been listening these past couple weeks. And I just rewatched the film recently. Isn't and it awesome? I can, I can report that the film still inspires some really, really, really fantastic conversation once it's over. Um, 
and as a result of that, it's um, definitely one of my favorite uh, adapted screenplays of the year. One which we may be hearing about in a little bit again. So, Mike Vermette, top five best adapted screenplays of the year. All right, so my number five might, you know, be an odd choice, but my number five is Snowden. Uh, um, I really loved that film way more than most people did. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I was totally intrigued from beginning to end by that movie. I had never seen the documentary. That's why. Um, okay. And then I saw it, and, you know, I get why people were kind of, like, down on it. But maybe having seen the movie first... I've seen it again since I saw it in theaters and after I saw the documentary, and uh, I still really like it. I think it's really interesting. I think it's a really... He's painted in a really interesting light, um, Snowden himself, and I think that Joseph Gordon-Levitt does a phenomenal job, and I think the script is really tight. I think they do a really good job of um, getting you immersed in his world and getting you invested in those characters. Yeah, uh, so I really liked that one. So Snowden is my number five. Um, number four is Love and Friendship. Ah, yes, with Stillman. Not particularly a movie that is, like, my kind of a movie where I'd be like, ooh, I really want to go see this. But, uh, I did, and to me, it is, like, the British costume drama equivalent of Deadpool. The jokes come, like, fast and furious, and you need to watch it and repeat viewings to make sure that you catch all the intricacies of the script itself. Um, it's such a dense script and there are so many words and so many jokes and like references and all kinds of things thrown in there. So I think the script is amazing. I have two words for you. Tom Bennett. Tom yeah. Bennett oh, makes yeah, yeah, that yeah. movie. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, it's great. So that's number four. Um, uh, number three for me is a movie that I only saw recently and that is A Monster Calls. Woo! I loved that movie. I thought it was heartbreaking. I thought um, all the stories that the monster told were, you know, done phenomenally. I thought they were so interesting. Um, I was so invested in all those characters pretty much from the beginning. Um, That subject matter of, like, a mom dying of cancer is very near and dear to my heart. So, for me, you know, that was a a tough movie to watch, and it really is due to that script, that ending sequence between, um, you know, the boy and the monster and his mom is so well written and, like, so heartbreaking that it's, like, one of the best things I've seen all year. I need to change my number five on my original list because I totally forgot that's adapted. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh no, Kristen! No, it's all good. I um, it's my uh, number six, and it just just missed my list. I really wanted to include it. I I, I adore that movie. I really love it. Yes, you know somebody whose mom died of cancer. That movie really hit home for me. So I really liked that one. Um, number two is Indignation. Oh man, this is getting some love. I loved this movie. I thought this movie was so smart, um, so sharp, so well-written. The ending totally caught me off guard, which it probably shouldn't have. But I think that was due to the writing itself, where I was so invested in the characters and so invested in the story that I kind of forgot the opening. 
So when the ending rolled back around, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, yeah, I loved everything about Indignation. And my number one is a movie I've talked about before on this podcast, and that is Fences. Ah, yes. I know, I guess it's a cheat, because they basically just used the Wilson screenplay, the Wilson script, but uh, I still think it's awesome. I I still think that it's beautiful. Like, the words themselves are beautiful, like kind of what Kristen said. Um, And, you know, it's... It is in the way of the delivery of those words, and they're delivered perfectly. So the way the script is given to the actors, I think, is perfect. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a nearly perfect script. So, number one is Fences. Okie dokie. My list is going to probably be very, very different uh, because I have some films that weren't really mentioned a lot. But number five was mentioned before. It, It is Nocturnal Animals. I was saying before about how dark and twisted this movie is and how much it inspires some really, really great conversation once it's over uh, in terms of the nature of human beings, men and women relationships. I really, really dug what Tom Ford did with this movie and leaving it very ambiguous in many areas, I think really, really helps a lot with its thematic resonance. So that's my number five. My number four is a film that did not get much love this year, and I thought that it was really, really well-constructed, and that is Patriot's Day. I thought that the film moved at a really, really great pace. I thought that it did very, very well by honoring those that were impacted uh, by the horrific events that took place in Boston. Uh, Really, really fleshed out all of the characters, and also really captured that Boston uh, language and that Boston attitude that a lot of people uh, in that community have. And so it's uh, my number four as a result. Number three is Arrival, which I am shocked that not many people have uh, brought up a lot. But uh, I think that that film, from a structure standpoint, is so well uh, put together that by the time the film reaches its ending, it comes full circle at the end. It really hits you with what, for me, was one of the most devastating gut punches I experienced in cinema all year. Um, I really thought it was really smart. I thought it was very, very well done in terms of its introspective nature. Um, and I thought that, once again, as far as a screenplay that gave you a lot to chew on, which is something that I uh, like to get out of my screenplays a lot, um, I thought that it did its job very, very well. Number two is Moonlight. Uh, due to the emotional journey that Chiron undergoes, um, it, there's not much else that can be said about this film that's not already been said before. The film is just so beautifully well-written. It's very humanistic. Um, It also is very tender. Uh, It does not shy away from some more of the um, harsh realities of the world that Chiron is living in as far as his internal struggle is concerned. And I think that's where the magic of this movie really shines through is that it, in a way through its screenplay and uh, also a combination of the acting as well it's able to convey this internal struggle that the character is facing and it does it in such a way that um really really truly does break your heart really makes you want to root for this character as he uh progresses through his life in these three stages so number one though it will come as no surprise to a lot of people is silence um as i was saying before uh Screenplays that give me a lot to chew on, a lot to think about, a lot to digest when I walk out of the theater. As somebody that was raised a Catholic and um, really has struggled a lot in his life with religion and also its use today, um, I found there to be so much to unpack in this movie. um, And I thought that Scorsese brought a very, very 
um, respectful stance on the on the on the nature of religion to this film, and it really explored it from both sides. I feel that this is a type of film that you could show to people that also aren't a part of this faith, and I think that they still could also get something out of it as well, which I think is a very tricky tricky thing to do here you know a lot of faith-based films tend to hit you over the head and they tend to be um as a result pretty bad uh bad films as a result but i think silence is something that's very very transcendent and a lot of that does have to do with the thought-provoking ideas that the film puts forth and also doesn't answer in many respects it wants you to contemplate and think about them and and that challenging type of material is right up my alley so it is my number one. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Moving on to best original screenplay now. Original screenplay. We have from Michael Schwartz. Number five, La La Land. Number four, Zootopia. Number three, 20th Century Women. Number two, Hail Caesar. And number one, Manchester by the Sea. Will Mavity, number five, Zootopia. Number four, Everybody Wants Some. Number three, The Nice Guys. Number two, Captain Fantastic. And number one, Manchester by the Sea. Ooh, Manchester by the Sea, number one on two lists so far. Let's head over to Kristen Lopez. What are your five best original screenplays of 2016? Spoiler alert, I'm going to break that spell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured. Number five is Hail Caesar. I think the script for a classic film fan like me hits the right notes. There's so many fun references to classic cinema in there. The way that the Coens use language um, to, to quote from the film itself, triplingly, um, <laughs> You know what? It's one of the few films that um, next to something like Arrival that praises the English language and makes you realize that you don't know what words mean. Does anybody know what the word "ruefully" means before they saw that? No. Um, no. So, so yeah, I think Hail Caesar is great. Um, the script is for that is is pure joy. Number four is The Nice Guys. I have rewatched this several times in the last couple of weeks because it's been on HBO. And the script is still really funny. I don't think I love the movie, and I don't think the script is nearly as good as something like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, but it's still really funny. And again, if you have great actors saying your prose, it's amazing. Uh, number three is a pure Kristen title. It's The Neon Demon. Yeah, the script there I don't think gets a lot of praise um, in comparison Not to other... Not from me. In comparison to, yeah, like stuff like cinematography or, or maybe acting or something like that. But I think it's just got a great insidiousness to it. Um, to throw out a Paul Verhoeven comparison, Showgirls thought that it had like nice witty lines because they were like frank and vulgar. 
This actually, I think, has some great lines that are really, really um, smart and funny. And, you know, the, the whole discussion about whether uh, lipstick shades being uh, named for either sex or food. Um, you know, and anything Abby Lee says in the movie is, is really amazing. Why, why take spoiled milk when you can get fresh meat? Um, I just, I love the lines in that, in that movie so much. Um, number two is Edge of Seventeen. Well, you know what? That is a great choice. Yeah, I'm really very is. surprised, yeah, that nobody else said that because that script is a, a mile a minute just ride of emotions that so many amazing lines that really captures the state of growing up and whether you're a teenager, whether you're an adult. Um, and again, it's just a really great script that captures a personality and a time of becoming that's amazing. And my number one, again, it's it's a Kristen title. It's American Honey. You know what? I I don't know what the deal is with this movie because I wonder how much of it was improvised. Well, that's you know the only what I mean? reason why I didn't pick it. It was on my list originally, but... I know that most of the script was improvised. That's the only reason why I didn't. I don't. Yeah, I don't care. It's it's my number one. I love <laughs> I love all the lines in that movie. Uh, I whether I it's too. improvised. I, agree. I mean, improvised. You still have to have the basic outlines of a script, and I think again for a movie that's almost three hours, there's got to be you know structure there that would require. And, and again, you need actors who apparently not only can act, but can come up with stuff on the spot. And I think there's Andre Arnold always has really great dialogue in her work. And I think this is the culmination of that. And you're probably going to see American Honey show up uh, at least once more before this is over. So, yeah, it's my number one. Okie dokie. Mike Vermette, what do you have? All right. So my number five is Everybody Wants Them. Um I'm a huge Richard Linkletter fan, and uh, this is... I think it's a great script. I think this is an underrated movie, underappreciated. I think this script really allows you to like fall in love with this bunch of real douchebags that these kids are. And you fall in love with them by the end. Like you, Each character is distinctly different. I think all of them have their own unique voice. And I think it would have been real easy for this script, being written by somebody else... To have them all kind of sound the same, like all high school or I guess college level, like assholes. But instead, they all have their own unique voice. And that's something I really appreciated walking out of the theater. Like I thought they were all like individuals. So I really like that one. And you know what, too? Part of the film's magic is that, you know, when you talk about them having their own unique voice, it's all about these guys trying to find themselves yep, exactly. uh, ultimately by being weird and being out there and just trying new things they're ultimately discovering who they are which is something that i was able to personally relate to a lot um through my own college experience and i think a lot of people are able to do that as well it's like you put yourself out there so much when you're in college and in the process you find what works what doesn't you learn a lot of valuable life lessons along the way yeah i really i really love this film yeah it's great too it's also like a beautiful sequel to boyhood and days and the confused at the same time so it's it's really good uh more people should check that movie out I think it'll have a longer shelf life than, you know, people give it credit for. I think I'm the only one who did not like that. <laughs> it's a guy thing. Maybe maybe it's a, yeah, I was going to say, I'm maybe it's saying, a gender thing. That does thing. not surprise me, Kristen. I, and I love Days and Confused, so I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a, a bad day. I would give it another look, but it's not really your kind of movie. Anyway, 
Number four for me is Zootopia. Yay! Uh, this is a movie I totally missed in theaters. I didn't expect much from, and then I saw it and I loved it so, so much. And I've seen it a few times since then on Blu-ray. Um, it's awesome. Like, the dialogue in that movie is basically a buddy cop movie. They've, like, made a buddy cop movie with animals. And it is so sharp and so smart. And some of the funniest, you know, lines of the year. Uh, Flash, the uh, sloth, is amazing. And everything that comes out of Jason Bateman's mouth is absolutely perfect. So, Zootopia ranks huge in my heart for this year. Um, Number three was one that Kristen talked about. um, Edge of Seventeen. Uh, that movie is is just amazing. It's beautiful. It's funny. It's heartbreaking. Um, and Harley Steinfeld delivers that script better than anyone could possibly imagine. And again, it's another thing where like the script is perfect for the actors. Kind of like what I said about Fences. Like she delivers everything so perfectly. And I mean that script is a mile a minute, and it's awesome. Don't discount Woody Harrelson, too. He's got some great lines. Oh, Woody Harrelson's fantastic. Oh, he's brilliant in it. But it's more like, for me, he's always good. Woody Harrelson's usually a safe bet. Um, Haley Steinfeld is just, is perfect in it. Um, Number two is La La Land. Everyone knows I love this movie. Um, I relate to all of those characters in that movie in some way, shape, or form. Um, And I think that's mainly due to the script. I think there's more dramatic dialogue than there is actual songs in that movie, uh, which is something that I really appreciate. And um, everything about from the way, like, Mia and Sebastian interact with each other, I think is perfect. And that's, it's a very real picture of, like, a modern relationship. And even their fight is, like, one of the best written fights that I've ever seen between, like, a couple on screen. So... Um, it's my number two and my number one comes as no surprise. And that is Manchester by the sea. Um, a black comedy and also one of the most profoundly sad, heartbreaking movies that you could possibly see all year. I, there's, you know, the major turning point in that movie when you find out exactly what happened was like a gut punch. I felt like someone had knocked the wind out of me and you know, that's due to that script it's amazing. I I couldn't... I can't give enough accolades to the script in that movie. And I had some of the biggest belly laughs that I had all year watching that movie. Some of the dialogue in that movie is so funny. So, yeah. That's my number one, Manchester by the Sea. And yet La La Land was still your favorite comedy of the year. Absolutely. So ridiculous. I still attest to that. That movie is hysterical. Nope. Best original screenplay for me, top five. Number five, Zootopia. Social commentary, great laughs for kids, great laughs for adults. Uh, just one of the most socially, politically relevant films of the year. Totally shocked and surprised me. I saw this three times in the theater, seen it countless times uh, on Netflix and Blu-ray since. I adore this movie so much. I think it's one of Disney's best efforts that they've ever put out. I think it's better than Moana. I think it's better than Frozen. I think it deserves every single award it is getting just because of how ballsy it is. I can't say enough about Zootopia. Number four, Hell or High Water. 
once again, one of the most solid movies I saw this year. Um, it's not anything unique or original or something that I'm sure um, I'm sure I'll see other people like rip this off to some degree or another. But as far as just in terms of all the crafts, um, in terms of its acting, everything about this movie, it's just so solid. It's just a solid, solid movie. I mean... The idea of taking poverty and equating it to a disease in a way and how Chris Pine is trying so desperately to break that for his children. So uh, beautifully well written. The relationship between Jeff Bridges and his partner Alberto also really, really well done. And also in talking about how uh, we, the white men, took land away from the Native Americans and now our land is being taken away by us, by the banks and corporate America. Just really really well done taylor sheridan is just such a unique voice and really knows how to write dialogue i mean the scene that i mean does it for me though is definitely the diner scene where the waitress is like so what don't you want and (laughs) just so so hysterical that scene and it feels like it's out of place in many ways but once again like anything that um a scene like that is really just trying to uh, establish uh, a time, a place, and the type of people that inhabit that place as well, so that you really get this uh, sense here of the environment and how it impacts the characters and their decisions and why they do the things that they do. Really, really, really love this movie. Number three is probably one of the most original films I saw this year, and that's definitely why it's on the list, and that is The Lobster. What a unique concept. So just out there and so bizarre and absurd in many different ways but also too such a tender love story between david and the nearsighted woman i love the balance of this film i love the uh comic nature of it um it's just so offbeat in so many different ways um the scene where he's like telling the heartless woman uh like in uh, like talking to her like in the bathtub it's just so so funny I, I really, really enjoyed this movie a lot, and I found so much to unpack in it. Uh, once again, it's commentary on relationships, um, something that I uh, that I always find to be very, very interesting. And number two is by far the most out there uh, in terms of concept, idea, and just a sheer originality, and that is Swiss Army Man. I mean, when I heard about this film uh, uh, last year's uh, Sundance, I was like, wait, what is this movie? What? And then I saw the trailer and I once again was still like puzzled. I was like, wait, what? Like, how is this going to work? I saw the movie and my God, did it, it worked for me. It really, really, really did because the movie is just asking questions about like social norms uh, and acceptance and asking us why do we have these uh, these blocks that we lay out before people in terms of really getting to know uh, individuals and their true selves and their true nature like why do we have to be so cordial and so polite about everything like if I want to like if I want to fart right now you know what that's a natural human thing for somebody to do and I should not be judged based upon my farts people simple as that love it I don't care what anybody says I really don't and number one, uh, Kristen, God damn you for breaking the streak. Number one is Manchester by the Sea. Hey, man. Some some of the pro some of the pros in this movie and just the way that uh, the characters are so carefully constructed. Uh, Lee Chandler is probably one of the most fascinating characters I've seen depicted in film. A lot of that also has to go towards Casey Affleck's uh, internalized performance as well. But 
everybody just sells the hell out of dialogue in this movie. And, and what I love about Kenneth Lonergan so much is that he's really able to capture human beings uh, and the internal struggles with which they go through and make them seem like they're epic in scope. But yet they're so personal, though, to the characters. And I think that that is something that deserves to be celebrated in a time where uh, we're writing characters and films are being written in a very such a mainstream, cookie-cutter uh, way. And we're not really capturing the full complexities of human beings on screen. But Lonergan is able to exactly do just that. So I really, really commend him for that. And everything that you were saying before, Michael, in regards to this movie, I echo it 1,000%. It's one of the best written movies of the year and, in my opinion, the best. So Absolutely brilliant. I really – I I genuinely really hope that he wins over uh, Damien Chazelle. Uh, come the Oscars, I think he really does deserve it. I, I do too. Like you know, I love La La Land, and you know, I'm a big fanboy for that movie. But I can admit when something is better, and like, absolutely, I think Manchester by the Sea deserves that. And I think uh, Casey Affleck deserves the Oscar over Gosling. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, even more than Denzel. I think he gave the best performance of the year by a mile. Casey Affleck, definitely. Best director, final category here. Top five, once again, who had the directorial achievement of 2016 for you? Michael Schwartz picks are number five, James Seamus for Indignation. Number four, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Number three, Denis Villeneuve for Arrival. Number two, Joel and Ethan Cohen for Hail Caesar. And number one, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. For Will Mavity, number five. Trey Edward Schultz for Cresha. Number four, Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Number three, Denis Villeneuve for Arrival. Number two, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. And number one, Robert Eggers for The Witch. Kristen Lopez. Five yeah. directors. I have a... I'm actually really, really proud of my list because... I think it's going to be uh, an interesting mix of people that uh, not a lot of others would have on here. Um, so my number five is Miranere for Queen of Cotway. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I think what what Disney did with Queen of Cotway is egregious. They really hobbled that movie from the jump, and it's one of my favorite family films, I think, of, of the year. And uh, Mira Nair has done so many amazing movies in her career, and it still shocks me that she's not one of the biggest directors that we have, because every one of her movies is almost always critically praised. And, and Queen of Cotway is a great story about women helping women. It praises intelligence, uh, not unlike Hidden Figures. And I just, she continues to put out this excellent body of work that captures stories that we don't see a lot of that we should, which is probably why so many studios drop the ball with her work. So, so yeah, Queen of Queen of Cotway gets more recognition and, and Mira Nair deserves all, all sorts of accolades. Number four is, uh, again, a movie that I've talked about already, uh, Nicholas Winding Refn for The Neon Demon. Woo! Yay. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with, with Nicholas Winding Refn. I love Drive. Oh, Drive's amazing. Drive is Drive great. Drive is incredible. And I loved Drive before 
I became biased about it. And <laughs> I hate, 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 hate Only God Forgives. I think that movie is unwatchable. But Totally agree. I love what he does with Neon Demon. It's a great blend of, like, showgirls meets, like, a Cronenberg movie. And it's this... I know a lot of people could say it's just as easily misogynist as it is feminist. And regardless, it's still a guy kind of making his assertions about how hard it must be to be a woman. But goddamn, if I don't love all the goriness, all the cattiness, uh, it's it's Showgirls for 2016. You know what? I've declared Showgirls one of my favorite movies. So Nicholas Winding Refn gets uh, kudos for me, especially when he said that this was his kind of take on Valley of the Dolls and Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, which are two just great movies to watch. Um, number three is Andre Arnold for American Honey. Yay! Um, I think Andre Arnold has continued to show that she's one of the greatest directors coming up nowadays. Um, if you have not seen Fish Tank, go watch it right now and then watch American Honey and you're going to see some talent. She loves capturing the working class adolescent female and this desire to get out of their poverty stricken situation and how that jives with sexuality and how that you know deals with this kind of community of feral children that she loves to bring up and parents who are obsessed with capturing their own youth and really don't give a shit about their kids it's a real she's a real great throwback to those kitchen sink dramas of the 1970s that you saw in Britain where everybody's living in like council housing and you know it's just filled with these these kind of moments that would feel like an after school special but aren't so she definitely gets uh, my number three spot number two tom ford for nocturnal animals yeah yeah uh, i've been saying for for as long as i've been on here you never underestimate tom ford okay um not only is the man sharp dressed and he makes cologne and perfume that smells awesome um but i think nocturnal animals show that he was not a one-trick pony because he's not only creating a tom ford movie but he's also showing that he can be like a sam peckinpah and to be a Sam Peckinpah-esque director is very hard work. Especially if you were Sam Peckinpah and you were just, like, fucking up every time you directed something. Um, but, I mean, Tom Ford shows that not everything is pretty and glossy. Sometimes it's, you know, horrific and tragic. And he just navigates these tones so beautifully. And I've said it before, I love this movie so much. But he was not my number one. Because my number one is a director who... I have said, give her all the awards. And that's Ava DuVernay for 13th. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I still think it's egregious that she was not nominated for Best Director when she made Selma. And oh, yeah. I, I think it's sad that she's not getting more recognition for 13th because I don't know a lot of directors. And the only one that comes to mind recently is someone like Ron Howard or maybe Martin Scorsese, who likes to do narrative films and then dabble with documentary. And Ava DuVernay makes a documentary that feels cinematic in the way she composes her talking head interviews, the way she blends music and popular culture and history. And it feels like a narrative feature, only you know it's a documentary. 
so I I love Ava DuVernay. I think she's fantastic. I would literally watch anything she puts in front of me. I have never had an interest in A Wrinkle in Time, but damn it, I'm ready for her to do that one. In, uh, I think, what is that, next year or the year after? So, yeah, Ava DuVernay, 13th, best director, hands down. All righty then. Very, very good choice. Mike Vermette, what do you have for your top five directors of 2016? So, my top five director will make Matt Nigley very happy, and that is Martin Scorsese for Silence. Yeah! All right, Mike. All right. I love this list already. So after months and months and months of you beating me over the head about, you know, how good Silence is, I finally saw it. And I really, really enjoyed it. Do I think it's perfect? No, I don't. I don't at all. But the fact that this movie asks so many questions of you as the audience and it doesn't really give you easy answers. Like, it expects you to to stay thinking about this movie after the film has ended. Um, I loved that, that of it. And I loved how big this movie is. And, like, how I think only Martin Scorsese could make this movie. I don't think another director would be able to pull it off the way that it's pulled off here. Um, so I think it's incredible. And I think... Giving Scorsese's age, it's amazing that he made a movie that is so big, that is so in-depth. Um, so, really, hats off to him. It's really good. I have silence is my full endorsement after seeing it. All right. My number four is one we've talked about a lot. Andrea Arnold for American Honey. Yay! That is a movie that um, I saw... I was in a really bad place personally, and I saw that a weird Shia LaBeouf movie was playing at a theater near me, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go check this out. I know nothing about this. I didn't even see a trailer. I'm just going to go see it. It's got Shia LaBeouf in it. I love Shia LaBeouf. Let me go see. Sat in the theater by myself for almost three hours and was floored by how amazing this film is. It makes you believe that these characters actually exist in real life. That somewhere I could walk down the street and run into Star. And that is due to the actors, but more I think it's due to um, Andrea Arnold. She picked people for these roles that were so perfect. And I know she went into great lengths to cast Sasha Lane, but she makes everything and every shot looks beautiful in this film. And it is like a, a time capsule of you know the shittier parts of America, and I think that in you know ten years, twenty years, people are going to look at this film to wonder what the counterculture was like, you know, in twenty sixteen, in twenty fifteen, and they're going to look to this movie to see what that counterculture was kind of like. Um, they're like the gypsies of twenty sixteen. I thought it was amazing. Number three is Peter Berg for Patriot's Day. Nice. So here's the thing. Peter Berg made two of my favorite films this year, and that's Patriot's Day and Deepwater Horizon. And I think Patriot's Day is a lot better than Deepwater Horizon, but I love them both. Um, And I think he's like one of the most underrated directors working. He makes these beautiful movies, um, and they're like male-centric movies, I guess, but... 
they're like these movies about real people doing real things. And uh, that's what I love about them and his directing style specifically. Um, Patriot's Day was amazing. I loved the way everything was filmed from the marathon races themselves to the bombs, you know, actually going off to the firefights to the quieter moments just between Mark Warburg and his wife, I thought was great. Um, the only reason that it didn't make my list for screenplay was because the fact that they created Mark Warburg's character for the movie. So to me, that was the only thing that took away from Patriot's Day for making it better with the screenplay department. But I got to stick it here for a director. Love Patriot's Day. Love Peter Berg. Awesome. Uh, number two for me is Kenneth Longerin for Manchester by the Sea. Oh, I know a lot of people like are iffy with his directing of this movie. Like, I know he gets a lot of plays for the screenplay and the acting, um, but I don't think the directing is particularly flashy. But he created uh, one of my favorite movies of the year. Like, when I saw this movie, I didn't think anything would be able to top it. Something eventually did. But it's amazing. And the fact that he's able to make you, kind of like Andrea Arnold, believe that these characters really exist. uh, It's just like a basic slice of human life and a basic slice of American culture. And it's put forth in a way that I feel like is so relatable to everyone. And I think that comes from, you know, Lonergan. So I don't think it's particularly flashy directing, but I think it's great directing. I think he directed all those scenes and all the actors to act the ways that they did and give the performances that they did is a big credit to him. So, um, love that one. And number one comes no surprise to anyone who has listened to this podcast over the last couple weeks. And that is Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Uh, La La Land is big, it's beautiful, it's perfect. I can't say enough great things about it. And it all comes off the back of Damien Chazelle. That opening number alone is stunning in the way that it's shot. And that movie actually looks better in IMAX than even on like the regular screen. Um, I love the way everything looks. I love that he crafted this world and he crafted those characters pretty much all himself. Um, everything about that movie, Damien Chazelle had his hands in like every cookie pot of making that movie. And I thought he was brilliant making whiplash. I loved that film. This takes his craft to a whole nother level. And I cannot wait to see what Chazelle's third movie is going to be. Well, it's going to be the Neil Armstrong uh, astronaut movie. I'm totally on board. Give it to me. Yeah, Ryan Gosling is playing himself. Is he going to play jazz on the moon? I'm assuming. Mm, That'd be awesome. I'd be all about it. Why not? And I hate jazz. And I love Whiplash and La La Land. All right. Top five directors of 2016 for myself. Number five, a name that has not been mentioned by anybody, Pablo Lorraine and Jackie. That's a really good one. Yeah. Uh, I think what Pablo Lorraine did here with the three different timelines, making each one very distinct, very unique. And then also um, just the way the film is shot, uh, having it shot on film, uh, the beautiful cinematography, the the performance that he gets out of Natalie Portman in this movie. I mean, like, 
the use of Mika Levy's uh, unique score. This is totally a movie that is unique and true to the director's vision here. And I think that as far as um, a directorial achievement of the year is concerned, I think he deserves to be mentioned. And he should have been, in my opinion, part of the conversation a little bit more in award season. Uh, number four is actually the Oscar frontrunner and very, very soon winner, Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Uh, once again, as far as directorial, directorial achievements are concerned for this year, uh, the classic uh, throwback of the uh, musical numbers, the visual look of the film overall, the the num the musical numbers in terms of how they're shot with extremely wide shots, no, not really that much editing. Uh, that's that takes a, a lot of skill to plan and to execute. And I thought that he did a really really brilliant job. I do think that the film does have. Um, some tonal issues and also some pacing problems within it. Um, as a result, he's not my winner for the year. However, it's no doubt that uh, he struck a chord with this movie with audiences everywhere, and he deserves to be recognized. Number three is Denis Villeneuve for Arrival. I think that in term uh, in terms of uh, atmosphere and mood, nobody did it better than he did this year uh, with this movie. Uh, the build up to the reveal of the aliens is so expertly well done. The um, the, the playing around with the structure of the of the film itself and uh, the little bits of editing that creep their way in, uh, but also at the same time don't give you so much that you're able to figure out what the movie is really going to be revealing towards the end, and then when it does, it all makes sense. Um, the only thing that he, I guess, is in a way maybe committed of a crime of is, uh, that, uh, borrowing Max Richter's, uh, score for the beginning and ending of the film and thus costing Johan Johansson his Oscar nomination for this movie. But even so, I think that the choice of music in the, uh, bookends of this movie is so well done in establishing the emotional, uh, journey that the character of Louise goes on. And it really does, uh, like I was saying, strike a chord uh, with audience members and myself personally. I, I responded uh, very heavily to this movie in a very, very deep and emotional way. And a lot of that had to do with the way that he handled the material. So number two, everybody is expecting me to list Martin Scorsese uh, in number one, but I am listing him in number two for silence. Um, as I stated before, when I was talking about best adapted screenplay, I mean, you, you gotta look at it, like, not just from the ideas now at this point, but just uh, in terms of at age 74 or however old he is at this, mo at this moment, for him to be doing uh, a large scale uh, epic outdoors with the nature elements and capturing uh, the wonderful photography that he was able to get on this uh, shoot um, is a testament to his commitment to the art of filmmaking and, you know, Martin Scorsese is one of the one of the greats. I, I think every year that he creates a film, he always makes one my top my top five. I'm, I'm almost positive of that, and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that he is currently right now America's greatest living director. Uh, even in mundane scenes that other directors would not be able to uh, capture something very unique, he's able to do so. Um, even in the, like just talking heads, you know, two people just having a dialogue. There's always something interesting going on in every single frame of every single one of his movies. And for Silence to be nearly three hours long and for it to not really feel like much of a slog for me, um, you know, and I understand for some people it is, but for me, it totally was not. I was intrigued every step of the way. I was really, really much in sync with what this film was trying to do, uh, both intellectually, spiritually, and also to a certain degree, physically. Uh, that that runtime is deliberate. So, number one, though. No. Number one is Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. 
And the number one reason why he gets the number one spot is because I found out later on that he never not once had any of the actors um, that play Chiron and Kevin in the three acts in the movie ever interact with one another. Not once. And to have the performance of uh, Chiron, especially since he's the focal point of the movie, be so seamless from one act to another with three different actors who are, by the way, unknowns and in some cases here children. Dude, you got to be a really, really good director to get a performance that feels like it came from one individual's lifetime, like in a boyhood sort of way. But yet it's three different actors and he shot it not over the course of 12 years, but over the course of, you know, a small window of time to like what, like 30 days or something like that. I don't really know. But, you know, bottom line is that it is such an achievement um, and one which just shocked the hell out of me. I mean, also think about this, too. Naomi Watts's performance was shot over the course of three days. For a director to know exactly what he needs emotionally um, within those three days from that big of a performance, the guy's got some tremendous skill. Tremendous. It also helps, too, that the film has a unique musical score, a very, very uh, atmospheric soundscape, a beautiful, lush, saturated look to it. I mean, everything about this movie screams that this guy has vision, and he is unique, and he is heading to much, much, much bigger things, although I wonder how much bigger can it possibly get than Moonlight. Eight Oscar nominations, Best Director nomination for him. I, I do think that his achievement on this movie is the achievement of the year. And with that said, that'll wrap it up here for week seven of the NBP Film Awards. Kristen Lopez, tell everybody where they can find you on the internet. I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And how about you, Mike Vermette? You can find me on Twitter at vampdt89. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Everybody, thank you so much for listening to Part 7 of the NBP Film Awards. We are coming to the end here in terms of our countdown. We got two weeks to go until the Oscar ceremony, so we will be wrapping this up fairly, fairly soon. I promise you, two more weeks to go here. But thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and also on Player FM. Be sure to also to leave us a review on iTunes. Send us your feedback and your suggestions for the show. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. We will see you all for part eight next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.